Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. Yeah, I just wanted to briefly talk about our trip because different people have asked, why are you going or what are you going to be doing? And one person said, well, is it a mission trip? Well, that's a loose term. For those of you who have gone on mission trips, does that mean you're pouring concrete or preaching or what does that mean? And we're going and you have to go with some flexibility and we don't know exactly what all we'll get into. But we are planning to spend a week and a half in Guatemala and then a day in El Salvador and then three and a half days in Nicaragua with the uh, Olive Branch mission there. We've wanted to go visit there for a while and so we had, a couple years ago had hoped to go to Nicaragua well with COVID that just wasn't feasible. Uh, Central America if you can imagine was even crazier with restrictions and things than it was here. During this time we will be doing a little bit of vacation but mostly visiting uh, friends that we made while we lived down there. Um, Somewhere between 15 and 20 families, couples, we hope to visit while we're there, besides the church services we're at, where we'll probably see a lot more. So it'll be intense and also really enjoyable. So, yeah, we ask for your prayers for our safety and health as we travel there. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, continuing my book study, it's been a little while since I looked at Ephesians. So we last time we looked at Ephesians, we looked at chapter 4. This time we're going to pick up chapter 5. Some chapters in the Bible um, make sense. This one a little less sense. There's a little more it feels like it bounces around a couple different subjects. But as with this style of preaching, you just take it verse by verse and you work through it. So I don't really have a, a theme for the message this morning. But I believe there's good things for us to learn and to look at. This book probably does get looked at quite often. I would say the second half of the book, uh, a chapter gets looked at quite often. But I think there's a lot of good things for us here. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So why does God, even Jesus talked about, told his disciples not to turn away from the children, not to turn the children away from him when they were following him and wanting to hear him speak or hear his stories. The disciples felt like, well, this was a waste of Jesus' time. Jesus didn't come to hang out with little children. He came to start his kingdom, right? And yet we see that Jesus cared even for the little children and we we see here again this idea that even though the world often looks as children as less than, as having little value, even to the point where abortion is so prevalent today, 
That's not how God looks at children. He actually, Paul here says that we as followers of God should be like little children at times. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be like little children? An example I had was a few months ago, we had a litter of puppies. How many here have had puppies at home? All right, not as many as I thought might be. There's a lot of annoying things about having little puppies. But one of the fun things is if you're outside working, what do they do? Someone want to say, what do they do? They get in the way. They just follow you around, right? They just want to be right there, right, right at your feet. All of you have had little children. That happens too, doesn't it? Sometimes little children are like little puppies. They just follow you around. They're right there. They just want to be with you. They just The closer they can get, the better. And I think that's what it's talking about here, that we should be to God the way puppies are to people, the way little children are. This idea of following us, following around, desiring a relationship, desiring affection and love. Now I also had to think too, what do we have when we have little children? I try not to use my children as examples very much, but I am going to this morning. When Philip was about two years old, being the only child or the oldest child, no other children to play with, Sarah and I got very annoyed with him asking why. Any of you have little children when they were little ask why? Well, he did it the most of any of them. And (laughs) I would try, because I loved him, I would try to stop and answer his question why, but it felt like he didn't really want to know why. He just wanted to talk and wanted to hear me talk back to him. And, And so I would start explaining very carefully the answer of why, answer to his why. But before I get it finished, what was he doing? Asking me the next why. And it felt a bit like justice when his younger sister Clarissa came along and asked us why, but she asked him why, I think, just as much as she asked us why. And it was funny to watch him as a three-and-a-half-year-old get really annoyed at her for asking why, but we remembered just a year or so before when he was doing it. So it, it, it's fascinating. So, But the same thing can happen to us as believers, that things happen in our life and we say, well, why did that happen, God? Why did you allow it? And I think we do need to be, we do need to be careful. Turn with me to Job chapter 38. If someone had a reason to ask why, it was Job. Job even, when he was answering some of his friends' criticisms, said things that weren't completely true about God. And what was God's response? Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
declare if thou hast understanding. And this is a fascinating chapter. You can read on your own. I won't take time this morning. But we do need to remember that sometimes when those whys come, if our attitude is right, it's not all bad to, to want to know the whys of some things in our life or some things of why God did something or, or has set up something a certain way. Because sometimes by asking the why and getting an answer, whether through reading God's word or through asking another more experienced believer, we can, see, we can find out a little bit about more who, who God is. Just like when our children are young and they ask us why, they start to find out about the world around them. They start to find out about how things work. And they get to know you as their parent. And so I believe that's what it's talking about when it talks here in Ephesians 5 about being as children, being followers of God, not acting like adults who act like they have it all together. Little children, yes, they can be funny that they'll, they'll be like, help me, no, don't help. Have you ever had a little child that said that? Like, help me, no, no I'll do it. I forget how I've heard one example where, help me, no, I do it. Like, they can't do it, but yet they want to show some independence and some, you know, strength that they can do it. But they need a lot of help, and most children recognize their helplessness at some point. And in the same way, we're helpless in a lot of ways and need God's help. Verse 2 talks about walking in love, as Christ hath loved us, hath given himself as an offering and a sacrifice. This isn't always easy to do. Little children, if, we, if their parents loved them, showed them a lot of care, that helps them to turn around and do the same thing, to love others, to love their parents Back. It doesn't always mean that they will, but if they're shown love, well, the same thing with Christ. When we look at Christ and we see what he has done for us, that should help us to then turn around and show love to others. I was just talking with a coworker a couple of days this week about frustration, why, why people aren't more generous and I said well because both he and I were talking about some some area that we had helped a need at work and I said well I said you and I were taught that the value of sharing and of caring and of being willing to sacrifice for others not everyone is but through Christ as believers no matter what our parents or grandparents did, we can see the love and the sacrifice he made for us. So we should, in turn, walk in love and show love to others. Going on then, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that nor whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And once again we see here he's talking about that as believers, there's, there's attributes of children that we should take on. An innocence, a not walking in darkness, wanting to do what is right. But we see here a number of ways. I thought this message lined up well with Nathan's opening this morning and looking at the sins that we are supposed to avoid. And we'll see that later on here in this chapter also. Little children are not perfect. They tend to, that sometimes they can be very sweet and just want to hang out with them. But other times, little children left to their own devices can be very mean to other children. And that's why they need guidance from parents. But um, in this world as adults, we are to be as children in our innocence and as walking with God rather than following after the sins of our flesh, the sins of the world. And Paul is warning them here. To be careful. What does covetousness mean? It says anything that's fraud, fraudulent involves extortion, taking what isn't ours. Verse 4 filthiness. This would be obscenity or shamefulness, foolish talking or dirty jokes, things that we run across. Any one of you who work in the world with non-Christians or even people who claim to be Christians but don't live like it, it can be hard to avoid those things, but we are called to do that. If we want to be right with God, we cannot be involved in those things. And they are serious. Some people say, oh, it's just a joke. It's just, we're just messing around. We're not serious. But Paul here is warning the Ephesians that these things are sin. And they are things that we should avoid at all cost. Because of where it will lead us. Paul in verse 8 acknowledges that some of the believers in Ephesus had struggled with these things themselves. It wasn't, he wasn't saying that, well, it's just out there. It's just out in the world. He, he acknowledges the fact that some of the believers here in Ephesus had been in those things themselves. But he said there's hope. There's, there's, you can turn your back on those things. You need to as a believer. That God will help you to be there. I had to think that today you have many people who claim to be believers basically saying it's okay to continue in sin because of God's grace. And we need to be careful. This isn't biblical. Romans 6.23, the first part says, For the wages of sin is death. death. Sin leads to death. And if we don't, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, work to overcome sin, it will lead to death. Going on then, verse, picking up verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness 
and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and having no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So how should we then live? It's as often as a phrase that you'll hear. How should we respond then when we live in a world of sin and of darkness? How are we to walk in the light? One of the ways, as it says, as Paul says here, is we are to reprove. We are to reprove them that are living in darkness. How does this look? I don't think most of us here are called to go to L.A. or to Chicago or to New York City and go down the street preaching, you're all sinners and you're going to hell. I don't, I don't think that's what God is calling us to. But I do think that if there's someone in our life that God's placed in our life, a co-worker, a neighbor, and we have a relationship with them, and they are living in sin, I think we are, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, to reprove them. And I will be, I will be very open. I, this isn't easy for me to do, as I doubt it is for, for you. That what if we have a coworker that's living in sin? How do we, how do we encourage them to come away from that? I've had numerous coworkers that were living in ungodly relationships, but most of the times I did not say anything. But recently I did. I did. I just it felt really laid on my God laid on my heart to say something. He was talking about how he had broken up with his girlfriend that he had been living with for six, seven years, and then he was talking about going out and starting to date again and. The, I could see that he was headed right back down that path of unhealthy, ungodly, sinful relationships. And so I said something to him, but that was rare for me. It was, it was not easy, but I felt God prodding me to do that. And I think we need to be open and ready if God puts that thought in our mind that we need to do this, we need to say something. Because maybe we're the person, the first person that's ever said something to them to stop them to think, hey, maybe I'm not walking the path that I should. But it's difficult. How do we respond to those in our lives that are not living right? Would I be willing to do it even if I knew that person might end my life? Would I be willing to stand up? John the Baptist did. But would it, what would I do if I knew it might cost me my life? I think with the times we're living in, it's just going to get harder, not easier to do this, but we must, as Paul here. Paul was willing to do it. He put his, as you say, neck out many times to speak truth to people, and we should do the same. Going on then, Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You could make a whole 
a whole message out of this verse. But what does it mean to redeem the time? What is Paul talking about? He's just gone through and listed sins that we are to avoid. He also talked about walking in the Spirit, doing good things. So what does he mean to redeem the time? All of us have the same amount of time as far as every day. Yes, God gives 40 years, 80 years, 91 years as to Helen. He gives different amount of years to each of us. But I think I look at it as this. The days, the minutes in a day are the same for everyone. He gives each of us 24 hours in a day. He gives us 8,760 hours in a year. What are we doing with those hours that he's given us? And I'm standing up here, I'm not standing up here with all the answers saying that I do it perfectly. But we need to be careful that we don't waste that time doing frivolous things. Waste that time in... Um, None, like there's a lot of things I've, I've mentioned this before. There's a lot of good things. There's like I'm going to mention some things here. I'm not picking on any one of them, but maybe your passion is is uh, hunting, maybe it's sports, maybe it's some other form of entertainment. And each of those things, if if they're not sin, if the thing we're doing is not sin against God, I don't think it's wrong to do that some of the time. But we need to be careful that it doesn't consume us. And cause us to be unable to be obedient to God. And so it's just finding that balance. So redeeming the time means having a proper balance. A good, another good way to redeem the time, those of you that are part of the, the Bible reading group this year, whether it's reading through the whole Bible in, you, in one year, or whether you just take a devotional and you read a few verses and read some somebody's thoughts on it but we should spend some time in God's word each day that's a way to redeem it if we have family a family we need to make sure we spend time with them that's a way to redeem the time and obviously there are people today who I don't know if it's always been this way but there are people today who feel like going to a nine-to-five job or a 45, 50 hour a week job is just a waste. It, look at all the time that they don't have this. They talk about me time. And yet, I believe that God intended for all of us to work. The Bible talks about if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. So some of the redeeming the time is going to a job, providing an income so that we're not depending on others. There's many ways, you could look at this in many ways, but I believe we do need to be careful. One of the things, one of the ways it's easy to lose track of not redeeming the time is on our smartphones. There's many ways, many things that can suck us in there. And we need to be careful that we're redeeming it and not wasting it. Going on then, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is how we redeem the time. It talks about not being drunk with wine. In the Old Testament, in the time of Paul, there wasn't as many ways to waste time as we have today. But that being drunk is a way of time goes by quickly for nothing to be gained. And there's a lot of ways we can be drunk with our time, being wasting our time. But he says, how do we redeem it? Well, one of the ways is to be following God's will. What does God want with our lives? What is his plan for our lives? And do you have a desire to, to know that? What does it mean to be speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? I don't think it means that we're constantly walking around, 20, well, not 24-7, but 16 hours, 18 hours a day, singing out loud all the time. But I think it means that our, our minds, our hearts, are filled with praise for God, just as Gary talked about his devotions, it, with spending some time in God's Word each day. I think that we need to fill our minds with, with good spiritual singing. I think that that is an important way. Do you ever go about your day and all of a sudden a song pops into your mind and even if you're not singing it out loud, the words are going through your mind? That's why we need to be careful what kind of music we're listening to, what we're filling our minds with. And that's how we can redeem the time. So in the last part of the message here, we'll look here at Ephesians 5 verses 21 to 33 the, the book the chapter does change quite a bit here it feels almost like a whole other message but I do want to go through it this morning Ephesians 5:21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. As I've said in other messages, this passage is not popular today. But I don't know that we can just say, well, it's just a modern thing. It's just with the current culture we live in, this isn't easy. We're human, and in a lot of ways, humans haven't changed a lot. I don't believe since Adam and Eve walked on the earth. I believe that some of the same things we struggle with today, they struggled with in Paul's day. So when Paul said this, I'm sure there were believers who just felt convicted, felt challenged by this. So what does it mean? Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands. And then it talks about the church. And that's what I want us to keep in mind as we go through these last verses in this chapter. That, yes, Paul is showing what Christian marriage should look like. But he's also showing what the church should look like in their submission to Christ. So when it talks about wives submitting yourself to your own husbands under the Lord, have we ever thought about it that the same way that we as members of the church 
need to submit ourselves to each other and unto Christ. So for us men who maybe turned our wives and go, yeah, you're supposed to submit. Yep. Have you ever thought that this verse is also talking about us submitting to the church and to Christ, to God? He has called us to do that. It's not always, it's not always easy. This submitting thing isn't always easy. How many of you found it easy to submit to the government's edicts in 2020 and 2021? I'll admit that it wasn't always easy. And yes, I think there were a few things that we need to, to submit to God rather than to man when it came to meeting together. But on other issues that were more gray that aren't scriptural or not scriptural or whatever... There were times where I didn't really feel like submitting to my government. But yet, just like we're called to submit to the church, we're called to submit to Christ, we're also, certain areas of our lives, called to submit to our government. Going on then, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the Lord, the church. Once again, we may think that this passage is mostly about Christian marriage and how husbands are to treat their wives. But this morning I want to focus also on the very fact that one of the reasons we as Christian husbands are called to love our wives isn't just so that we can have a healthy marriage, but it's to show the world a little picture of what Christ, how he loves us, how he loves his church. And that when we don't love our wives the way we should, we may be showing the world an incorrect picture of Christ and his love for us. And so it's important to remember that God put Christian marriage on earth for a very specific reason. He did it so to replenish the earth so that mankind would continue on until he decides to for the world to end. But yet, it was more than anything to show an, an earthly example, a type and shadow of his relationship and his love for us. The very fact that Jesus was willing to come to this earth, die on a cross, to be tortured and die on a cross for us. We as Christian husbands are called to love our wives the same, the same level. Verse 30, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall join, be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. 
So he's talking about Christian marriage, like I said. But then he says, but really I'm talking about Christ and the church also. Don't miss that. He's, I think he's trying to say, don't, don't miss the bigger picture that I'm trying to show you. Just as it's a, an amazing thing when a, in, a, in a Christian marriage, when a man and woman become one through marriage, when we become a part of the church, when we become a part of Christ's body of believers, there's a mystery there too that those who don't have that relationship don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to them. It's a mystery to them. But yet it's there. It is real. And so let us not forget as we think about this passage that the world around us is less and less light and more and more darkness. And they're, they're forgetting a lot of biblical truths. But yet, we have right here in God's word an example through Christian marriage, through a godly marriage of a husband and wife, what the relationship between the church and Christ is. And let's not forget that. Let's not forget the importance of being a part of that church and not thinking that we can do it on our own, but that we need one another. For like going back and rereading verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Like I said, that that concept, that word, that idea of submitting isn't popular, isn't easy. But it's how we have a strong church. It's how we have a strong relationship with Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, this morning, I just pray, Lord, that even though I am not a perfect orator, I, Lord, I am human. I just pray, Lord, though, that your word has been able to reach into the people's lives here this morning. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would continue to study your word, to read it, so that you can open it up to us and help us to understand, especially as we think about our relationship with you and with your church. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful, to walk circumspectly, to walk in a way that's a godly example to those around us that don't know you. And I just pray, Lord, you would help us to remain faithful till you call us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.